the last couple of weeks have been real interesting with me and Jesus. Uh, the Lord's been, you know, the way it works on our pastoral team is the Lord speaks to us on what we're supposed to speak to you. Uh, there's no little manual that we follow. We get before the Lord, we pray, we seek the Lord, and He speaks to us. It's a really cool engagement. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, last Sunday, uh, you know, the week before, the Lord spoke to us about, hey, I need you to teach the people to protect their love with me. And, uh, and here's a couple of things that steal the love. And one of that is bitterness, you know, pride. And, and it was so crazy that in the news media that, that week was this, that big thing with, you know, the Amber Geiger um, murdering of that young man. And then the brother, the little brother, Bryant, uh, Bryant Brant, uh, I think I'm saying it right. Anyway, loving, her, hugging her in the courtroom and just it exploded all over social media and some people were mad about it. Some people thought it was great. It was just crazy that that was right in there as that was happening, that God was having us teach on the same type of how if we're going to protect our love with God, we can't let bitterness get in and how that young man showed that picture so well. Well, it's crazy because this week the Lord was speaking to us about kindness. And, uh, and then Monday, all over social media, this thing blew up Monday and Tuesday with an culture. Uh, see that? And so obviously, I guess, you know, I'm not big into what's going on in culture uh, because I'm just trying to stay saved every day. But anyway, so, so I, I don't keep up with everybody. But uh, I guess Ellen went to the Cowboys game last week and sat next uh, by invitation of former President George W. Bush. And so I guess uh, everybody was like, how can you, a liberal lesbian, you know, sit next to former president, conservative guy, and, uh, you know, you're being hypocritical. And, I, and, I, and what she did was she, she uh, approached it on her show that next day. I guess it was Monday or Tuesday, whatever. And she literally said to everybody, she goes, listen, I teach you every time at the end of all my broadcasts, be kind to everyone. That's not just the people who agree with you. You've got to be kind to everybody else. And I'm looking at this non-Christian going, Wow. You're having to remind us, the church, God's very principles and the nature of the living God. I, I don't know uh, how, how you feel about Ellen, but I think she's the coolest person on the planet. I pray for her salvation like at least once or twice a week. I, can you imagine when Ellen gets saved and delivered, how many people she's going to touch for Jesus? I just think she's the sweetest soul, and I just want to see her come to know. So anyway, I, just, I was really touched by that. And so with that being said, we've titled today's teaching, A Touch of kindness. Would you say that with me? A touch of kindness. Our key verse is found in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17. If you'll turn there with me, uh, turn on your Bibles, go to your Bible app. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 17. Those of you that are still reading paper, you can pull that out. Stop killing trees, please. Anyway, verse 17. <laughs> I'm picking on you. Uh, your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. I'll read it again. Proverbs 11 and verse 17. Your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. Years ago, before Pop came into Mimi and I's life, uh, Mimi wanted to uh, get me involved in sports and stuff like that, so she put me on a baseball team in the Little, little League. And uh, my first coach was a man by the name of Coach Rushing. I've talked about him before. Coach Rushing was typical redneck, big old country boy, in his, in his probably mid to late 60s, always had a chew in his mouth, drove an old beat-up Ford truck, and, uh, and overalls, I mean, you picture, just like something off of Hillbilly City, you know. And uh, he was the coach of my, little, my first little little league team, and, and uh, can you imagine trying to coach me? 
Just think about that for a moment. As ADDDDHDDDD as I was and had never played a sport, and he's going to be my first coach. And I want you to know that was the kindest old man I'd ever engaged with. He was so kind and so gracious. He, he, he just took his time, and I would do something stupid. He said, Adam, come on over here. And he put me up against his big old belly. Put, put, you know, he said, now, buddy, you need to slow down a little bit. You need to do this, and you need to do that. He'd just take his time. I'd have to ride my bike to practice because mom you know, would, would, had to work. And so I'd ride to practice sometimes, and sometimes it'd be dark, and he'd throw my bike in the back of his truck and come drop me off. And it was that kindness that marked me. In fact, it was one of the key moments uh, in that season of my life that taught me how to treat other people. What, I hadn't seen too many men be kind until Pop came in my life. This man was probably the first one to really act kind and generous. And I'll tell you right now, that man is sitting in heaven, and Jesus Christ is looking at him and saying, Boy, aren't you proud of what Adam's doing? Oh, because of your kindness. And I want to remind you back to our key verse, your kindness will reward you, but your cruelty will destroy you. You know, Jesus was kind. You know that, right? The God that we serve, Jesus Christ himself, came to earth in kindness. He came to seek and save that which was lost, which was humanity. It was kindness that led him to this earth to be crucified so that we could have eternal life. In fact, we see him operating on the planet in those ministry years uh, from 30 to 33 years old and, and how he ministered in such kindness. I'd like to draw your attention to Matthew chapter 8. Look in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 8. We'll read verses 1 and 3 and just look at Jesus' kindness. It says, when he came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. What kind of crowds? What kind? Small ones? Large. Large crowds followed him. And verse 2, a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Verse 3, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured from his leprosy. Now, because we live some 2,000 years later, we don't even understand the significance of this moment of our time. In biblical times was... We would almost compare it to like Ebola of our time. It was a flesh-rotting disease. In fact, it doesn't matter if you were a billionaire. If you had leprosy, you were immediately cast out of society. You were not allowed to be around healthy people. They were so fearful that it was contagious. They were so concerned that it would destroy everyone else that literally people in, in positions of authority were cast out of society. So if you live in, in, in a village or a, or a city of some sort, you literally were extracted out of that and have to live out in the wilderness. They would have these leper camps, if you will, and, and families would come and drop all food and run, and then you could come and get the food if you were a leper. It, it, what would happen, for you guys that don't know what leprosy is, it would start usually with the extremities, the nose, the, the toes, the, the fingers, and the flesh would begin rotting off, and big sores, and just the flesh is dying, and it is rotting right there in front of you. And they would wrap themselves typically. In fact, in biblical times, if you had leprosy, you would have to walk on the opposite side of the street if you were trying to get someone, and you would have to yell out, unclean! Unclean, don't get close to me. I'm contagious. I'm, I'm disease ridden. Don't get close. I'm a leper. And literally, you were completely isolated and lived in abandonment, if you will, during this season. The Bible says that a large crowd was with Jesus. It was illegal for a leper to come anywhere close to a crowd. It was also illegal for a rabbi or a preacher 
to touch a leper because that would then make them unclean. And there was this, this, whole, uh, this whole spiritual, you know, uh, association with that, that leprosy being like sin and how we get sin in our life and how the preacher, the minister shouldn't let sin get close to them. And so if you accidentally touched a leper, you'd have to go through this cleansing process of rituals and so forth. The leper comes running right up in the middle of all this crowd of people, which is not just wrong socially, but it's illegal. And so he runs up, falls on his, fa- on, on his knees in front of Jesus, and he says, sir, if you're willing, you can cleanse me. And Jesus, the Bible says, look what it says he does. He reaches out and he touches the man. He touches him. He puts his healthy, clean, if you will, non-diseased hand on this man's dead flesh and says, be healed. And immediately he was healed. Just a touch. Just a touch of kindness. And this man is completely made whole. He is completely transformed. Says he's completely healed in that moment. One touch of kindness. We live in a society that no longer thinks kindly. When a non-Christian has to remind us to be kind, even to those we disagree with. How far have we come, church? It's time for us to get back to the place that we walk in kindness, even to those we completely disagree with. Jesus looks at this man. What should have happened was someone should have stepped in and said, get out of here, leper. Go, get out of here. They should have ran him off with swords, and which commonly what they would have done. But this guy sneaks in amongst them, and Jesus touches him and completely heals him. It's amazing the power of the touch. It's supernatural what God can do through the touch. Um, kindness through the touch. Uh, there's, I want to point your attention. There's a French psychologist named Sidney Laraud. And he wanted to do this, this kind of this research thing. And, and he did this social experiment. And he began to go and visit in different countries cafes and pay attention to how much touch interaction the people in those cafes had and how that engagement, how it created either more love, more joy, or caused more conflict. And as he began to research, let let me tell you what he found. In the cafes in England, he would sit there for an hour. He saw no one touch anyone else. He came to the United States, and in the cafes throughout the United States, he averaged in an hour two touches that people touched each other. He went to France, and in an hour, there was 110 touches that transpired. Then he went to Puerto Rico where there was in an hour's time 180 uh, touches. Can you imagine? Come on Hispanic folk, you know you love each other, you know you be touching. Come here baby girl, Ah, give me some love. And the reason why he was doing this research is because psychologists have found that through human touch, joy, love, uh, 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 um, acceptance is propagated when we touch each other. That's why it's so critical for me in this church. After worship comes to an end, as we're bringing our tithes and offers, that I tell you, don't sit your butt down. Don't be like that. Go hug somebody. Go shake their hand. Look them in the eye. Go love on them. Why? Because transferring of love, of acceptance, happens when we touch one another. The most, uh, the most greatest plan, one of the greatest plans of the enemy is to isolate us from love touch. And unfortunately, we live in a society that every touch is worried about whether it's sensual or sexual. Oh, to come back to a place where we actually touch one another in kindness and in love 
and there's this awesome exchange of love and acceptance. Uh, this weekend, I was with some pastors. We were on a little retreat and just before the Lord. And uh, our church has a sister church down in Cleburne uh, uh, called the Heights Church. And, um, and the former pastor that started that church, his name was Pastor Ferris. Pastor Ferris died a number of years ago uh, of, of cancer in his 60s. But he had just been a good just country preacher out in Cleburne, Texas. Got that church up to about 400 people, which is huge out in that area, uh, uh, you know, out in the country like that. And just an amazing man. Every person I met talked about how Pastor Ferris touched their life. One of the pastors on staff, his name was Pastor Billy, and he and I sat there and talked for about an hour and a half, two hours. I said, tell me your story, Pastor Billy. He said, well, he said, I grew up, my dad was a violent man. He beat on me. And, he's, and I said, and he said, and, and the day came where my dad said, I don't want to be with your mom anymore, and so I'm leaving you guys. And, and, uh, and he said, I can remember sitting at the table with my dad, and if you said anything wrong, he'd he, he backslap you and knock you down out the chair. He said, that was a common occurrence at our table. So when he decided he, he wanted to leave, he said, I, I said, good riddance, and I'll never want to talk to you again. And he said, and I went into the military. And he said, I went into the Marines. And in the Marines, that anger inside of me, they taught me how to use that to kill people. <laughs> he said, in, in the Marines, he said, I became uh, a, very, uh, a very strong, independent, and angry individual on the inside. But you didn't know it on the outside. My wife knew it. He said, and, and we had this, this family member that passed away there in California. But... But that family member had lived in Texas back earlier, and Pastor Ferris had been their pastor. So Pastor Ferris flew in to be at the funeral, to minister at the funeral. And he said, and they were going around, they were introducing. And he, they said, Pastor Ferris, this is Billy. He said, here I am, a young, angry military young man, special, you know, uh, not special force, but, you know, very engaged. And he goes, and this man grabbed me, and he held me. For like five minutes. Now, if another dude holds you for five minutes, that's just awkward for fellas. Ladies, y'all can do that, but man, we just don't do that well. He said, at first I was like, is this guy gay? What's he doing? What's he messing with me for? He said, but the more this older man held me, and he said, I want you to know God loves you. I want you to know it's going to be okay. I want you to know that God has a plan for your life. I want you to know that I love you. And if you need anything, I'm here for you. Held me. He said, he held me for five minutes. How long is five minutes for dudes? <laughs> he said, at first I was mad, like, get, you know, get off of me, old man. Like, what's wrong with you? He said, but about two and a half minutes into it, he said, something started shifting on the inside of me. That kindness began to melt away all the anger on the inside. As he's telling the story, I'm like, then what'd you do? He said, I got out of the military and I moved to Cleburne. He said, because I've never felt love like that. And he said, whatever this is, I want to know about it. And he said, I moved my little family there. I got a job. I got in Pastor Ferris's church. And that man mentored me and discipled me. And this man's been dead now for at least 10 years or so, 8, 10 years. And this Pastor Billy is talking about this older man as though everything in his life shifted when he met him. One touch of kindness. Jesus was kind. Jesus asked us to be kind. Somehow we live now in a society and a time where being kind seems weak. In fact, the Bible prophesies the scenario that we live in. If you'll turn quickly with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. The Bible prophesies that the world's going to become more and more wicked. Look what it says in verse 1 of 2 Timothy. But mark this, 
There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Does that sound like where we live? Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So the Bible prophesies the world in which we live. 2,000 years ago, God was saying, you're going to have a world like this where no one's grateful, where everyone is self-serving and self-seeking, seeking after that ain't right. We're going to live in a world where everybody gossips and slanders. Everybody's posting stuff that ain't right. Everybody's being rude and unkind to one another. Everyone of, and what has happened to Christians in this moment, as we are just in this whole season of being attacked and, and, and living in this world of wickedness, unfortunately, I'm watching a lot of Christians, and what we're doing is we're on the defensive. And, and, and what's happening is as we're on the defensive we begin to try to fight darkness with darkness and try to prove a point and Jesus teaches us just the opposite he says the way you destroy hate is with kindness the way you deal with the darkness is to bring light inside of it and how unfortunate at the beginning of the week we had to have a non-christian remind Christians and the world be kind even to those you disagree with even those that you don't like their opinion, this is the way of Christ. This is his nature. Jesus was kind. In fact, one of the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Proof that you have the Holy Spirit living and abiding in you is that you can be kind when others cannot be kind. Friend, it is it's time for you and I to stop acting like the world and start acting like a Christian. And we are going to be kind even when we disagree. Even when we say, you know what, I don't see it that way, but I love you. I respect you. I'm still going to be your brother. Do you understand? Sitting maybe a row over from you is someone who thinks totally different than you politically. Do you understand? We are a multiracial church. We're black folk, Hispanic folk, white folks, Asian folks all mixed in. We're old folks, young folks, millennials, all, all this mixed in. Let me tell you something. Someone sitting somewhere in this room sees it totally different than the way you see it. But what happened, Jesus said, they'll know that you belong to me by the way you love one another, by the way you're kind with one another, the way you're gracious with one another. Aren't you glad that Jesus was gracious with you? Aren't you glad that he's been kind to you? I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful. I think about over the years the different folks have been kind to me, even when I was being a knothead, even when I was being ignorant, even when I didn't understand what I, what I was doing. And friend, it is time for the church to rise up in this hour. And let me tell you, in this next 2020, during all the elections and stuff, everything on your social media is going to be pulling against your love for individuals. It's going to be pulling and tugging and wanting you to prove you're right and I slam them like that. <laughs> and you're going to be sitting there late at night oh, yeah, I tell you one thing. And all that stuff's going to start stirring. And I'm challenging you, as the Bible challenges you, be kind. Be kind even to those that you disagree with. This is the word of the Lord. So I want to teach you for just a moment a couple truths about kindness. Would you write these down? I think they'll help you. Number one, kindness is not weakness. I know we were raised that you can't let them get ahead of you, bless God. You don't let them talk bad about you. You stand up for yourself, buddy. You stand there and you look them in the eye and you tell them you will not take that away from me. And that to be kind in that moment would be weakness. That is not true. Kindness is not weakness. Jesus, our Savior, one of the kindest men to ever walk the planet, they have beat him. They have stuck a, 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 thorn of, a, a crown of thorns into his head and beat it down with a club. 
Do you understand when they beat him with a cat of nine tails, it was a whip that had nine strands of leather off the handle. Nine strands of leather. And then they would tie glass and metal strips like razor blades into the ends of these, of these leather straps. When they beat him with a whip, it's not like a little bull whip, you know, that you saw on that ranch one time. We're talking about, we're talking about a, a torture device. And what they would do, they strap them out like that and stretch that back muscles and stretch them all out. And then they would, these guys were professionals at torture. They would start at the top up by the neck and they would hit and, the, and those, those pieces of metal and those pieces of glass would stick into the flesh and then they would shred the flesh off. And they'd hit and shred it off. And they did that 39 times. They were, they were sentenced with 40 stripes but they would always stop at 39 just in case they accidentally miscounted because the one whipping them, if they go over 40, they then had to receive the same whipping that they had just given. So they lived in fear like, I'm going to stop at 39. 39 lashes. They shredded him. Then they gave him a cross beam. Anytime you see Jesus as some little sissified person up on a cross, y'all don't have any concept. That dude was a man's man. He's carrying a cross beam after having every muscle in his back all the way down right to the edge of, of his backside, having been shredded apart 39 times. Most of us, I'll tell you right now, I say this all the time. When they got to about 20, I'd have been like, I'm done, Daddy. And I'd have fried everybody. Let's start over. Let's start over. We don't need these guys. Let's get some real people who are nice. And Jesus did. He took it. And then he climbed that hill. That cross beam couldn't get all the way up it. Someone had to help him carry it. And then... Naked in front of everyone. They nail him to this cross. He's naked. Talk about humiliation. He's naked in front of everyone. And then he, and he's stuck between two idiots. They're thieves. And they begin to argue back and forth. This one starts talking bad about him. If you're really the Messiah, get yourself down. And the other guy's like, shut up, dude. He's the only righteous person up here. You know we're idiots. Ah, rah, 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 back. Have you ever just like... Been at your house and they're all arguing. You're like, I just want to watch the football game. Can y'all go in another room? And then it's rah, 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 back and forth. And then Jesus turns to this one and says, hey, today you'll be with me in paradise because of your confession of faith. Kindness. Then as he's breathing his last breaths, they're gambling for his clothes. They're spitting on him. Literally, the, the spiritual leaders are walking out, spitting on him. You deserve this. Ha, 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 ha. And his last couple of breaths, he says these words. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Look at the kindness. It takes strength to be kind. It takes confidence in who you are, what you're doing, and where you're going to be kind to others. It takes a strength and a confidence that you and I as believers should walk in. Kindness is not weakness. Kindness is actually strength. Anybody can bark back. Anybody can bite, bite back. That's human nature. <clears throat> but it's the nature of God to say, though you hurt me, though you slap me, though you spit on me and crucify me, I will still love you and believe for you and woo you back to myself. I'd like to give you a little action piece today. As you go throughout your week this week, would you consider someone who has has been unkind to you? And would you consider doing an act of kindness to them this week? Maybe that person in the office who's always taking credit for what you've come up with. I'd like, I'd like you to consider doing something kind for them. So what should I do? I don't know. Buy them something. Say something. Hug them for five minutes in the hallway. 
but something. Let me give you the second truth about kindness today, and that is kindness unlocks stubbornness. Somebody say amen. That's the truth right there. Kindness unlocks stubbornness. Look at Romans 2 and verse 4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you towards repentance? Don't you understand that it was his kindness that actually wooed you to a place of repentance? Because he first loved us. Then we went, wow, he's been kind, he's been gracious. I want some of this. It literally wooed us to repentance. It literally broke through our stubbornness. Because how stubborn must you be? Think about this. How stubborn, how arrogant, how prideful must you be to say, okay, I give you a choice. Accept Jesus who loves you and spend eternity in heaven. Reject him and spend eternity in hell. That's not a a tough choice. It's like, "Mm, I choose hell. I mean, like, that's not even, that's not. So what, most of the time what you get is people who say, well, I went to church one time they were rude. Okay, well, what does that have to do with choose, choose Jesus and spend eternity in heaven or deny Jesus and spend eternity separated where the devil and the angels were meant to go? Which one do you want? Well, you know, that preacher took the money one time. That so listen, that's great. But do you want life or death? Well, you know, I just tell you, I tell you, I don't do you know what breaks through that stubbornness? Kindness. It was his kindness that led us to repentance. It was his kindness that reached out to us. And we said, wow, though I don't know if I even believe, that's cool. That's good. That's right. You're not going to break through, sweetheart, with him by trying to prove how wrong he is and being smarter than him. It's the kindness that's going to break through his stubbornness. Bro, you keep doing the same thing at work, trying to prove your worth. It's your kindness that will break through their stubbornness. It's being kind that actually will break through that whole stubbornness. I, I told this before, but years ago I traveled uh, extensively, uh, kind of a traveling minister. And one particular I, uh, early morning flight out, <clears throat> I'm getting dropped off at 8 o'clock, uh, 7 o'clock. I think it's like an 8 a.m. flight out. And, and, you know, I always cut it right close because, you know, every hour that I'm sitting in the airport, I'm wasting my life. And so I always try to catch it real close. I'm just barely an hour there, and, and it's the Atlanta airport, and I jump uh, I, I jump out of the the, the, uh, the car, and, and I'm running in the airport, and as I turn the corner, there is the security checkpoint, and it must, it must be 400 people. It's going to take at least an hour to get through this checkpoint. Like, you got to be kidding me. And so as I'm walking up, there's this little sweet black lady, and she's walking up. She's just a little bit behind me, so I start walking faster <laughs> to get to the line, and she starts walking faster, and I'm looking at her. And so I get there, and she arrives just, I mean, a half a step behind me, but then she cuts in front of me. So I'm a, I'm a Christian, a man who loves God. It's early morning, which is not a good thing to do. But I had a moment with Jesus where I acted like Jesus. I was like, okay, no big deal. I'm not even going to say anything. And she sits there, and she looks at me like, what you going to do, white boy? And I'm looking at her like, you know, back in the day. But today, today, I am a Christian <laughs> And I'm actually, I'm feeling strong today. It's okay. No big deal. Go, go ahead. Do what you do, girlfriend. That would have been great. There's 10, 15 people behind us now. But she starts waving her go- girlfriends forward to skip. I don't know how you were raised, but you don't skip a line. Don't skip a line. Should have got there on time. You got there at that time, that's where you stand in line. 
She starts waving them from. It'd been all right. Maybe if it was one other girl, I could understand. Two other ladies, six of them with all their junk. And I mean, look, they have barely got their fake eyelashes on. Their hair's all kind of like this. Lipstick's not all the way put on. They did not wake up on time. And they are all, they are all fluttered and, oh, my God, and, oh, my God. And, they, and listen, I am getting further and further back as they keep adding in front of them. And so I am steaming on the inside. And I'm, about, I'm right there. And you got to know, I will let you have it. I ain't scared. It don't matter. I got small man syndrome. We'll go at it. I don't care. <laughs> You know, let's do this thing. Let's rumble. And, uh, and so I'm about to say something. I hear the Spirit of the Lord say, I want you to be kind to them. I'm like, be kind to them. They, I got you kindness. Best thing I could ever do is teach them a lesson, Lord, so they'll never do that again to anybody. Got to help these sisters with their rudeness. I'm going to be kind. They, somebody else might stab them, Jesus. You know, so if I don't fix it. Come on, that's all our excuses. He said, I want you to be kind. And one of the ladies, she was so sweet. And she, she's like kind of sheepish because she obviously was raced, right? And she's like, you know, and so she starts trying to soften it. Like, you know, it's so, it's, I just can't believe, you know, that, that this line is so long. I mean, last night when they canceled our flight and we were stuck here in Atlanta. And, and then now, you know, we're going to miss our flight. And, and so I, I just, I, saw, I heard her and I, I jumped in. I said, man, what time is y'all's flight? And she said, it's, it's 7.15 by now. And she said, it's an 8 a.m. flight. I was like, sweet love, you've got to be there 15 minutes before the door uh, 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 closes. I mean, you, you only got 30 minutes to get through this. And that, look, see that sign? It says 65 minutes to get through this security line. I said, y'all not going to make it. And so then they like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? Oh, my God. And the airline this and the airline that. And they playing with their phone. They're all mad about it. And so I noticed out the corner of my eye that, you know that one dude at the airport, he got keys all over the place, that one Barney Fife guy. And so I'm like, dude, excuse me, sir. I was like, hey, we need your help. And they're like, no, it's okay, sir. It's okay. No, 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 no. We're going to get you through this line, girlfriend. Y'all are not going to miss your flight. That ain't right what the airline has done. No, no, you know, it's really our fault. We didn't wake up. But I, said, I got you. I got this. Sir, sir, we have an emergency. So he comes walking over. Ching, 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 ching. And I said, sir, you look like a man with power. I said, you look like a man who can make things happen around here. He goes, well, how can I help you? I said, these precious seven ladies, sweethearts, have been done dirty by the airlines. They were canceled their flight, threw them in a hotel, gave them this early flight out. And look at this. You've got 400 people. I've never seen this line this long. They're about to miss, their flight is in 30 minutes, and they're about to miss it. There's no way they can get through here. And then that's going to push them back. And I guess they're on some kind of family reunion or sisterhood thing or something. I don't know what they're doing. And uh, you know that was probably all sorority sisters, you know. And so I said, uh, I said so, I, sir, if you could do it, could you help them? I tell you right now, if you did this, I tell you, everybody's going to be happy. He goes, I'll do it. He said, ladies, come with me. I'm going to get you to the front of the line. And they're grabbing their stuff. And they're like, no, it's okay, it's okay. I was like, go with him right now. And they're like, okay. And they start walking off. And the main one, the little sweet love, the little blessing, who had cut in on me originally, and then for the next 10 minutes waved to all her friends in front of me, came back, looked me in the eye, and she said, I'm sorry. She, had to, she knew what she did. I knew what she did. She knew what she did. I knew what she did. I looked her in the eye and said, sweetheart. Jesus loves you, and so do I. And I'm happy that this worked out for you because you don't need to be stuck here. And she got big tears in her eyes. She goes, I'm a Christian too, but you're a better Christian than I am. I said, yes, ma'am, I am. Go on. 
I just want to point out, one out of ten ain't bad, baby. I got that one. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Kindness unlocks that stubbornness. Here's the third thing I would teach you about kindness, and we'll just start wrapping it up right here over the next 25 minutes to an hour. Number three, <laughs> kindness springs from gratefulness. Do you know why you're not kind? Because you forgot what God's done for you. You think you've gotten there on your own strength. You've lost gratefulness. Because when you're grateful, you can be kind to everybody. <laughs> See, you forgot that you are a sinner saved by grace. You forgot, were it not for his mercies and his kindness, you and I would not be sitting here. You forgot about those times you were in a drunken stupor and you got home somehow and it was really the angels of God that kept you alive till you could get to a place of repentance. You've forgotten. And so you're not kind to others because you've lost your gratefulness. See, kindness springs from a place of gratefulness. Look at Romans. Can I do a little theology teaching to you for just a moment? Would you give me a couple minutes? Yeah, I, I, thank you for saying yes. Um, <laughs> you're like, ah. Uh. Romans chapter 11. Let me just break down a little something for you. This whole chapter is pretty cool. Romans chapter 11, verse 22 and 23. We'll just bring that out and then I'll explain it to you. It says, notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe towards those who disobey, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you will also be cut off. Verse 23, and if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them back into the tree. Now, I didn't have time to read the whole passage, so I'm just trying to extract that. So you can go back and really study it on your own, especially if you disagree with me. But at the end of the day, what this passage is teaching is Paul is saying, listen, Gentiles. The Jewish people, who are God's people, they were elected, they were God's people. They have now disobeyed and will not follow the Messiah. God's gift of salvation, those that are rejecting that, those branches are, be, are being broken off. They've been broken off. And he said, and then that broken, you understand, so the imagery for Israeli people living in biblical times is they had vineyards everywhere. So if you've ever visited a vineyard, you've got these stalks, you've got these, you know, this, this piece that comes up out of the ground, and they're usually about this tall, and then the branches go out from here, and that's where the grapes grow, grow off the, the branches. But the, the main vine, they call it the main vine, it really is the, it's the trunk of, of this little bush tree thing. And so what happens is, at, at times, those branches will get broken off. And if they're not supported properly, they'll get broken off. And then what a, good, what a good farmer will do is take another healthy branch and graft it back into that stalk. Well, put it back in that broken spot. Put it in that space. And then the nutrients of that trunk begins to fill into that branch. And that branch begins to produce. And Paul's using that imagery to say, hey, listen. You were not picked originally. The Jews had a covenant with Abraham. God had a covenant through Abraham for his descendants to be his people. God sent his son, Jesus, to redeem not just the Jews, but all of humanity. And some of the Jews are not receiving him as Messiah, so they're being broken off. They're literally falling off, if you will, the nutrients of the kingdom business. And you, because of his kindness, have been grafted in. And if you go back and read, the whole intent of the whole passage is, so don't you dare be arrogant with these Jews. Don't you dare be unkind to them. Because that which was broken off can be brought back in and regrafted again. If they'll come back to a place of obedience, if they'll come back to a place of following after God, they will be grafted back in if they will but humble themselves. And the only way they're going to humble themselves, go read the text. 
The only way they're going to do that is because of our kindness towards them. Our kindness back towards them as, if you will, the older brother or the original uh, receiver of the covenant. And so Jesus is literally teaching through the Apostle Paul in this passage in Romans that kindness needs to come because you're grateful that he grafted you in. As you're grateful, oh God, I recognize that my family, was not, my family were not believers. I recognize, oh God, that I wasn't raised that way. But God, you've been so good to me and you've been so kind to me that I've got to be kind to others. And friend, when we lose that gratefulness, then we don't know how to be kind to others. Friend, you sh- listen, do you know how, how often over life you could have been paralyzed? Do you know how many times you could have lost your mind? It has been God's grace and kindness that have kept you that you're here today. And as a result, you and I should be grateful and say, and I'd be doggone if I'm not going to be kind to others because he's been tolerant, he's been patient, he's been kind to me. So therefore, I owe a debt that I have to pay in the lives of others. You think about it. Most all of us are believers because someone was kind to us and brought us in. Maybe it was your grandmother who got saved 50 years ago, 100 years ago, whatever it was. And then, so as a result, your mom was raised in a Christian home. So as a result, you were raised in a Christian home. For some of you, you weren't raised at all knowing God. And someone reached out to you and pulled you in and said, listen, I love you. I care about you. I'd like to, I want you to know truth. Maybe your heart was so longing for truth because you went to a little church here, a little church there, that you began to seek it out yourself. But someone was gracious and kind. That's why I'm so anal about every person walking through that door that we're nice to them, that we hug them, that we tell them, I'm glad you're here because I've been that person walking into a church wanting more of God, not knowing if these people are going to be nice to me, not knowing if they're going to pull snakes out from behind the back curtain and what this place is all about, not knowing if they're going to be uh, uh, you know, gracious to my kids in the back or they're going to get them back there and try to you know, get them to swallow something. You know, I, I've been that person. And so the, the, the kindness that you and I show to folks who are just showing up for the first time is critical. And the only reason we would do that is because we're grateful for what he's done in us. Have you lost your gratefulness? Years ago, you ever heard of Penn and Teller? Do you know who they are? The, the magician guys out of Vegas, you know who they are? I, I believe it's Penn's the taller one, right, with the little ponytail thing. But I think it was like somewhere in 2011. Penn had this experience that he vlogged about. And I'll never forget watching this little video clip from his iPhone that he's talking about this experience that he had. He tells the story. For sake of time, I'll just tell it. I won't show you the clip. You can go back and look at it later. But he tells the story. He says, after one of my shows, this man walked up to me and handed me this this little book. He said, uh, and I asked him, what is it? And he said, well, it's a New Testament Bible. And and Penn, I really enjoyed your show. And and I I really think you could benefit from knowing God. And here's his story. And here's his word. And Penn is looking into the camera, you know, his hair's all disheveled, look like he just woke up, you know, and he don't have any makeup on, you know, because he's a performer. He's looking into the camera and he goes, now I'm an atheist. I don't believe there is a God. He said, but this man was so kind to me. He was very gracious. He knew I was an atheist. He knew I didn't believe in God. He, we talked about it. He said, but I, I just think, Penn, this could help you one day if, if you ever wanted to know more. He said, on the back of it is my phone number if you ever needed to call somebody. And on the inside, he said he wrote a little, little something. May your life never be the same. Or I'm praying for you, something like that. He said, it touched me, this man's kindness. And he went into philosophical thinking, because Penn's a brilliant man. He goes, I don't believe there is a God. He goes, but obviously this man does. He says, and this man not only believes that there's a God, but he believes there's a heaven and a hell. And he said, and here this man is trying to proselyte me, trying to convert me to Christianity. 
He said, and that touched my heart. And he made this statement. He said, how much do you have to hate someone? If you believe there's a heaven and a hell, if you believe there's an eternal destiny, how much do you have to hate someone not to warn them about hell and try to help them know about heaven? He said, how, how much do you have to hate an individual to not warn them that where they're headed is going to destroy them? He used the whole Christian analogy that the, that the road is coming to a, to a bridge that's out and they're going to die to their death off the edge of a cliff. He used that. He goes, how much do you have to hate someone not to warn them? He said, you know, I don't believe in this God, but this man's kindness, this man's niceness, it touched my heart today. He's given me some things to think about. Again, non-Christians having to remind the church of the very nature and characteristics of Christ. How much do you have to hate your neighbor not to help them know the truth of life? How much, how much do you have to really inside of you hate your coworker to hope that they burn in hell forever by not even attempting to show them the kindness of God because it was the kindness of the Lord that led us to repentance. Church, I challenge us today. Come back to a place of kindness. You're not going to defeat darkness with darkness. You're not going to out-argue the world. You're not going to out-prove the point on social media. In fact, kindness breaks through that stubbornness. Kindness is who Jesus was. Kindness is who we're called to be. Kindness isn't weakness. It's actually strong. It's actually who God was. Can you imagine Satan as he's laughing at God? Ha, ha, ha. Your little Jesus guy came to the planet and I've killed him. Ha, 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 ha. And God's saying, yeah, you got set up, sucker. I baited you in because I will raise him from the dead. And that life has now gotten into men. And they will propagate what you cannot kill. And it will grow to a revival that changes the world. Today, a little soft sell for next weekend. As pastors, we just kind of set up an opportunity for you to bring friends to a service that will be a little bit more focused on our coworkers and neighbors, those friends of ours who don't really know Jesus. How much... Do you have to hate someone not to invite them to that? I would challenge you. You should be grateful. I am grateful that he saved me. And I don't want anyone to not have that same experience. And I would challenge you. Like Ellen DeGeneres. Let us be kind even to those we disagree with. Would you stand with me all across the room? I want to pray over you. Why don't you go ahead and set your Bibles down, your notebooks, your spouses. Just set them down on the seat behind you. I'd like you to do me a favor. I'd like you to bow your head and close your eyes right where you stand. Just so you can concentrate. So God can speak to your heart. So that you won't be distracted. And as you stand there with your head bowed and your eye closed. I think we as a church, we as believers, we as Christians. We should start this moment by repenting for where we've been unkind. I'm sure the person we've been the most unkind with is probably those closest to us. They see us at our worst. Our spouses, our children, our parents. I, I would imagine that that's probably a good starting place. But I would also challenge you to ask the Lord to help you. 
because maybe you've been unkind to your co-workers, your neighbors, your relatives. You're not giving a lot of space for them to have a messy life. You're so busy trying to get them to see truth. You're up against that stubbornness and you just keep pounding and pounding and pounding. Actually, kindness will break through the stubbornness. It was his kindness that led us to repentance. He was tolerant with us. He was patient with us. In fact, he died on a cross before we ever accepted him. The Bible says it like this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, the insinuation of that statement is that he didn't wait for us to be good. He went ahead and he was kind before we were ever even considered his existence. He started the kindness movement. See, it takes real strength to be kind when you feel like everyone else is being unkind. It takes real power, real confidence to be gracious when no one's being gracious with you. But this is the nature of Christ. This is you. This is who you should be, believer. This is who I should be. So I want you to take a moment. Who have you been unkind to? Would you just ask the Lord to help you? And while you're praying that prayer and asking for help, asking for forgiveness, would you also then move that into what act of kindness could you show to that person, to that group, to those people? I don't know if they'll accept it. I don't know if they'll jump up and down, and I don't know if it'll break through their stubbornness right away. It's not for them. It's for you. Because kindness changes things. Father, we come before you as a church, as as a people who love you, who know you. We recognize, oh God, our own humanity. Lord, we repent for trying to defend ourselves against the wickedness that has happened in our world by being like them. Lord, we ask you now to change our way of thinking, transform the way we approach others, the way we approach social media, the way we approach people who don't see it the way we see it. Change us here and now. Lord, would you wrap us in kindness? Would you help us put on the cloak of kindness? Your word teaches us that one of the great gifts of the Holy Spirit, proof that the Holy Spirit's inside of us, one of the great fruits, I'm sorry, of the, of the Holy Spirit, one of the great fruits is that kindness would abide in us, along with gentleness and seven others. God, I ask you now to help me. Help me be a man of kindness. Help me see through the lens of kindness instead of through the lens of who's trying to get something over on me. Daddy, I ask you now to transform our way of doing life where it looks like how you did life on the planet, Jesus. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like to give a call. If you're in this place today and and you're not a Christian, maybe you'd say, you know, Pastor, if I died today, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't go to heaven. Maybe you're dealing with shame and guilt of your sin. I got such good news for you. Jesus isn't mad at you. He's not trying to destroy you. He wants to help you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to wash you clean. And can I just help you? You're not that far off either because you have some kind of love for God in your heart and you wouldn't have come here today. I mean, no one surprised you. You know, this isn't a club. You didn't pull up and go, wow, I thought this was a club. So your heart's been longing for God. And I'd like to help you. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He will forgive you and He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness.
See, what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago, when he died, it was payment. His death was payment for every sin every man and woman on the planet will ever commit and has ever committed. He paid for it right then and there. I tell people all the time, and I give them like this little image, like there's an account with your name on it, and every sin you've ever committed has already been prepaid. It's been paid forward. You say, oh, ooh, how do I access that account? Well, I already told you. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Because see, that imagery of confessing and believing is kind of like, imagine if we were at a party and my best friend Jesus was sitting at a table and I went and grabbed you and I brought you over and I said, Jesus, this is my friend John. And I introduced you to each other and you looked at Jesus in the face and you said, dude, I want to be like you. I want to learn from you. See, that's literally what confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. That engagement where I brought you two together, that would be the prayer that we're about to pray. Jesus, I want you to meet John. John, I want you to meet Jesus. John, go ahead and tell Jesus about your life. That's what this prayer would be like. It's an initiation of the relationship. Confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Pastor, it's my time. I'm ready. I'm ready to be a Christian. I don't want to live like this anymore. I need God in my life. I want to repent. I want to ask Jesus into my life. Would you let me pray with you? Would you let me lead you in a prayer of repentance? No one's looking around. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to point you out and say, yay, look at this one. This is a deep, private, eternal decision that you need to make right now. Yes or no. Putting it off is a decision. Indecision is a decision. So today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, Pastor, you're speaking to me. It's time. I'm ready. I need God in my life. I want to repent. I want to pray with you. I want to ask God to come into my life. No one's looking around. Would you just quickly just slip your hand up? Say, Pastor, that's me. I want to know who I'm praying for and who I'm praying with quickly across the room. Amen. Thank you so much. Anyone else? Pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I need God in my life. I need Him to transform me, fix me. I want Him to be the Lord and Savior. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? Amen. You can put your hands down. I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance today. And I'm asking you to mean it with all of your heart. In fact, I'd like everyone in the audience to pray out loud alongside those who lifted their hand. And in this moment, I promise you, as you engage with him, forgiveness, transformation will happen. Say it like this. Say, Jesus. A little bit better. Jesus, today, I admit I'm a sinner. I've sinned against you. But I ask you here and now to forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Jesus, thank you for dying on a cross. Thank you that my name is in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm yours forever. In Jesus' name. Would you keep your head bowed for just a moment? Father, I pray for those who prayed that prayer for the first time. Maybe it was a homecoming. They were coming back to you. Jesus, I pray right now, Lord God, that they would feel and sense your grace, your forgiveness. And Lord, from that would come joy because they don't have to perform. Father, I thank you, Lord God, that this fresh new relationship that they started with you today will grow and mature. It'll have hard times and good times, but it'll be beautiful. And that, Lord God, their eternity can be secure because they're in your hands, protected for the rest of their being. Jesus, I ask you now to watch over them. And Lord God, I thank you for your kindness that led us to repentance. In Jesus' name.